0: Como okay. nada más que eso, y de ahí viene el, el, el sendero nuevamente de unos tres, de ancho.
1: Welcome to another episode of Strangers Abroad. This podcast is a series of conversations with the wonderful and weird people I met while backpacking throughout Latin America. These are the hitchhikers, the couch surfers, the expats, the thrill seekers, the mountain climbers, the volunteers and society lovers. the people who for one reason or another made the decision to challenge themselves to leave behind the comforts of home venture out into the world to see what happens here we go like the beginning of so many stories Adriana and I met in desperate times the couch surfers we planned to stay with in Mexico City backed out last minute and my travel companion and I were in need of a place to stay. Adriana was the only one who responded, and she was clearly new to couch surfing with no references and little information on her profile. Instead of sucking it up and booking a hostel, we decided to chance it with a local and our risk was immediately rewarded the moment we were picked up by her boisterous then-husband, Luis. He did not speak a word of English, but that didn't stop us from having passionate, philosophical conversations late into the night, thanks to Google Translate. That night, we finally met Adriana in the city Zocalo, or Main Square, and she was so excited to show her first Couch her homeland. As we walked around, she would shout out random facts of what we were passing by. Then she would grab my hand and maybe we would dip into a mezcal bar or dance to indigenous performances happening in the streets. I was so impressed by her specific stories about Mexico City and found out that she works on a cultural project that gives tours of the city's evolution told through underground stories, which gave us a richer experience on our midnight tour. That night, she showed us the layers of history built into the city landscape, constantly being torn apart and pieced together by the generations of people who have fought and ruled over this area. I was gorging myself on the history and tostadas as she gave us a glimpse into the largest metropolis in North America. There are rare times in your life when you meet people who you literally have to tear away from to stop talking. And for me, Adriana was one of those people. I loved being squished together on the crowded trains as we zipped through the city, often joined by her friend, also named Adriana, where our conversations would become as intimate as our proximity. The two of them peering at me under their glasses opened my eyes to the dissonance of Mexican culture simultaneously wracked with so much beauty and pain. She is cognizant of the corruption and violence of her countrymen and the dangers it poses to women and the poor. She believes through education she can work to reupholster the levels of oppression that are deeply sewn into the fabric of Mexican culture, like the handmade indigenous embroidery sold on the streets. This conversation was recorded after I returned to the States, and her other friend, Adriana, hops in to give us an alternative perspective on some of the questions I ask. Excuse the occasional buzzing noise and beeping in the background. She is sneaking this conversation in at the end of her workday. We begin by talking about her trip to Prague, which she was planning when we first met. Here are her stories. Adriana is bilingual and has an affinity for learning languages. And we started by talking about how bizarre the Czech language is, which I agree with completely. Prague has a special place in my heart, being the first country I ever traveled to. It was sí. really difficult.
0: language is
1: completely different. Our conversation eventually led to talking about women's roles in the Mexican Revolution. We are both very tangential speakers, as you can hear. Would any women dress up as men to fight? Yes, yes. You, you mean that if they
0: helped to the, to the men in the, in
1: the battle? Yeah. Was that encouraged for women? Um, yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, for example, there were no rules if you are a woman or not. You are in, like in the in the battle, or you are like in the military group, so it doesn't matter if you're a woman or not. Wow. The, the thought w- was that you are in the same danger than me if I am, a, if I am
1: an, a, a man. She describes how people don't seem to be as hung up on gender roles at the time, because once the revolution was in full swing, everyone was in equal danger, especially if you were poor and you didn't have anything else to lose.
0: You don't have to lose anything. And if, if somebody in your family during the battle died, you don't have anything. You just have the group or the military group that you're you not know, traveling with right. or something or fighting
1: with. Right. So, it, so women, so the roles of women were kind of augmented because people were like, everybody needs to fight and if you don't have anything, then like you might as well be fighting. So after the revolution, did those gender roles kind of fall back into place? Or do you think that women were kind of, like, more empowered afterwards? Yes, no, I think that, um,
0: actually, after the revolution, where the, the, um, the principal movements, there, are, um, there, there was a woman, that the name is Elmerijilda Galindo, that was the secretary of the guy that...
1: Um, she goes on to describe the key players and the principal movements of early Mexican feminism.
0: You know, to the power to provide, like, the vote, to
1: the women. Now, let me take a moment to tell you about Erminda Galiendo. She was a radical Mexican feminist in the turn of the 20th century. Her thoughts were published in a magazine she created titled, La Mujer Madonna, a.k.a. The Modern Woman, where she advocated for female agency and both sexual and general education. In addition, she is the first woman to run for public office and, quote, be contended as an electoral choice in Mexico ever. Although she gained and technically succeeded at winning the majority of the votes, the Electoral College denied her the position due to the laws that forbid women from holding office. She acquiesced and accepted the decision because she felt that her victory was a strong enough public statement showing that women in political office isn't impossible. So our conversation migrated from the Mexican Revolution to modern-day feminismo. Women's roles have shifted greatly in Mexico, but are still wracked with contradiction, torn between gaining female agency and traditional machismo. Women are still expected to be strong and support their families, but it's still customary to be submissive and cater to the men in their lives. I asked how machismo is affecting feminism, and if it's getting stronger or dying off. Yes, she says it's still hard for women, especially in the sexual life. There's a double standard that is maintained. Adriana and I begin to discuss the feminist shifts that started blossoming throughout Mexico after the revolution, originating in the Yucatan area. Before it became one of the party capitals of the world, it was the first area to perpetuate feminist ideals in Mexico, especially some more controversial topics.
0: And one of them, actually, the first state of Mexico um, that uh, provided the vote to so the women were in Yucatan. Interesting. In Yucatan, after revolution. I mean, it's 1914. 1914, yes. So oh. um,
1: that's before America.
0: Yes, yes after this, it, 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 uh, there was like the main or the the first like feminism congress, and was really polemic because Hermel Hilda sent he couldn't he couldn't go, but but she sent a kind of you know say talking about the um, sexual sexual rights of women, and you know for that 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 time was really shocking, you know, uh-huh. was like what she's talking about, no? Because nobody talks about sex in the beginning of the nineteenth century in Mexico, no? Mm-hmm. So she has started to, to talk about how women need to you know to be satisfied, you know, that they have the rights to to feel, you know, as the same that the men
1: So So our conversation migrated from the Mexican Revolution to modern-day feminismo. Women's roles have shifted greatly in Mexico, but are still wracked with contradiction, torn between gaining female agency and traditional machismo. Women are still expected to be strong and support their families, but it's still customary to be submissive and cater to the men in their lives. I asked how machismo is affecting feminism, and if it's getting stronger or dying off. Yes, she says it's still hard for women, especially in the sexual life. There's a double standard that is maintained. However, things are changing, and women are working hard to try to reinvent their own image and maintain the opportunities that they've really had to fight for through the life. years. For example, in the
0: sexual life, is really hard as well you know, it's really different if you are men right. and with these new generations I think that it is different as well in the opportunities right. because women nowadays are working more than men mm-hmm. you know, like 15 years ago you know, you don't have like the same kind of opportunities now as yes. the women and they are trying to renovate like their own image It wasn't a, a crime to, to do to, the violence against women, it wasn't a crime. It started to be a crime since 1996. Um, That's you know, insane! It's, it really, yes, it's really recently. That's insane! Yeah, oh my but before. And nowadays, uh, for example, if you go to the public transportation, you can see, for example, in the Metrobus, I think that you that need you it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it is two wagons, you know, for
1: women. So the conversations around women's safety are just starting to show themselves in the public sphere. Public transportation in Mexico City has a sex segregated train system during the busier hours of the day where one third of the trains are designated for women only in response to the looming risk of sexual assault. There was one time that I was taking the women only. It was during rush hour and there was a vendor who came on and he was male. I was really annoyed at him because this is one of the very few sacred spaces for women and it was just really frustrating and disrespectful that this guy was like, oh, I'm gonna come on and like try to sell you know, CDs or peanuts or whatever. Um, and I just remember feeling so annoyed at that guy. And I can
0: tell you in my personal opinion that I feel really safe in, in, if I go there, you know, if it is really, you know, easy during the evenings or when I go out of the club or something, I have to, to travel in public transportation. For me, it's not, not like, I'm not feel like really comfortable, mm. you know? even if you're in the morning, and if you go to, to work, you have I feel really good if I go to the women's section. It's, like, really
1: comfortable. Absolutely. Adriana's friend, Adriana, also joins us. They both give personal examples of how layered and confusing the messages towards women are, especially from their families. Adriana explains how confusing it was to live with her grandmother, whom would project her beliefs of gendered labor in the household, while Adriana is growing up in a world trying to transcend away from that. For
0: example, I remember my grandma, she used to Wash the dishes, um, like wash the, the clothes, like do all the things, all the role, all the woman role that they must be, uh, that they're supposed to be doing. I know that it's different, but I think that it's uh, still like um, encouraged by the by the woman in the family.
1: Right, yeah. right, right. And that's totally um, like that's an aspect of a patriarchal society is when both genders play into those roles of like this is what a woman is supposed to do and this is what a man is supposed to do, you know? And like women are not necessarily exempt from uh, believing those types of things. I mean, it does set us back. It doesn't help us go forward.
0: I also remember my, my, my grandma like um, protecting or being more like patronized with my, with the, with the man than that with the woman, you know? Hmm. That's so... it's a funny thing. I'm not sure why why uh, it operates in that way, but it's what I am. I have seen, and it's it's it's, it's weird too because it's supposed to be like the opposite,
1: now. right? Well, it's interesting because like the moms coddle the sons, you know, like they take so much care of the sons, to the point where the sons become dependent, and they just kind of maybe look for a woman who would just replace their mom. You know um, what I mean? Uh-huh, that's yes, so that interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's so weird. And so then girls are still kind of reinforced to um, you know do all of the typical gender role labor and and take care of men. So that's a, just a weird cycle that happens. So then what is the experience in the country?
0: Mm, I think for me it was uh, kind of different
1: because... uh, Adriana explains that she was mostly raised by her father, who was a traditional machismo. She describes how his reinforcement of the female double standard sometimes clashed with how he raised her. Although he wouldn't let her go party with boys, believing that if you are a serious woman, you can't smoke or drink, let alone have sex he did encourage her to become independent. Her sisters got married to the first boyfriends they had, and she felt the pressure from her father that if she brought someone home, it would have to be the person she intended to marry. She grew up caught in the middle of the conservative perspectives of how a woman should behave, submissive and self-sacrificing, while also being raised to be independent. This illustrates the confusing expectations Mexican society has about how the genders are encouraged to behave. Women are now expected to be independent, but not too independent, while remaining pure for the men they are expected to yield to. The Adrianas are part of the feminist change that is hopefully shifting their country towards a world that is leaning into the equality of the sexes. Just to end this off, one question that I kind of like asking is, um, teach me something in like a quote in Spanish that you find to be very inspiring or something that you kind of carry with you. Um, do you have any, or some sort of like Spanish idiom off the top of your head? Okay, I, I know one that is really good. Okay
0: say para que los quiero. And
1: what does that mean in English?
0: That's something for what you need your feet if you have wings to fly. That's beautiful.
1: That conversation is a snapshot of what our time together was like and what I miss most about her. Leaving Adriana was harder than I anticipated because, after only a few days, it felt like being reunited with long-lost friends. She exposed us to the local lifestyle of Mexico City, from micheladas to antique churches, Mayan chocolate, music on the streets. This is a city where modernity and tradition make sweet love, a beautiful blending of contemporary aesthetic while still maintaining their ancient heritage. I wouldn't have been so intoxicated with it if it weren't for her. She is still living and working in Mexico City, taking in the occasional female traveler or going off on her own adventures around the world. She truly embodies the force of Mexican women that came before her. Buenos Aires. In the next episode, we meet the Germans at our first volunteer placement in Puerto Escondido, Mexico. We hear about their personal growth from the obstacles they've encountered during their year-long odyssey of North America. And then we decided that we should explore the world, so we decided to buy a car. And then we
0: got a really cheap car from Craigslist. Yeah, and then we
1: decided we're going to live in the van and we're going to travel down to Peru. Next time on Strangers Abroad.